I got a list uh, of uh, kind of maybe like a top six, top seven of, of the procrastinator's um, creed. Um, or I would even go so far as to say the lazy person's creed and see if any of these have ever uh, been adapted by you. Um, I know I've had a few here. It says, okay, just do it later. Anybody got that one? I put the pro and procrastinate. I'm not lazy. I'm just very relaxed. If I have to get up, I'm not doing it. Lazy rule number one, if I can't reach it, I don't need it. I'm not lazy. I just really enjoy doing nothing. I followed my heart, and it led me to the couch. Any, any of those uh, kind of hang on your wall and how you roll? Some of them um, I put together uh, in my own life. Uh, guys, we were in a series called Old School Wisdom uh, here in the Proverbs, and we're looking at advice that Solomon has passed down to his sons, and consequently, uh, as a sage, he's passed down to us from generation to generation uh, to generation. And what he was doing with his boys is he was trying to make sure that they didn't waste their lives, right? They didn't want them just to, to just to frivolously throw their lives to, just to the wind. He wanted to give them direction on how to carry it out. And the same thing, as a sage, he writes to us that we would do the same. He doesn't want us to waste our lives um, either. And so this week, in the effort of not wasting our lives and not wasting the gift that God has given to us, we're going to look at what it means to work. And on the backside of it, when you talk about what it means to work, you also have to talk about what it means to be lazy on the other side of it. When uh, I was growing up, and you can probably relate to this, or I'm guessing this isn't just me, now, I hated doing chores. Anybody else? Like, I, I hated chores. And if I'm being honest, I still hate doing chores. But here's, here's the thing about chores. They keep you from doing the things that you really want to do, right? Like they just kind of get in the way uh, of the motives of the things that you actually want. But I remember growing up, and uh, when, every morning, I would, I would wake up, and I would see my dad um, put on, wake up, put on his work boots, and he would uh, go get in the car, um, and he would go pick up his brothers, or his brothers would meet him there at the house, and then they would drive about an hour to an hour and a half to get to Columbus, Ohio, and they would go out on a hot roof all day long and put shingles on. And then after working all day, when the sun was going down, they would get back into that car and they would drive an hour, an hour and a half to get back home uh, and then eat and then do some chores around the house. And in the same way, I would watch my mom. She would get up in the morning and she would put on her work clothes and she would head off into the factory from, and work from sun up to sundown, working in a car parts factory, helping to put cars together in our, our little hometown. And then she would come home after the sun was going down, right? And then she would cook a meal for our family. Uh, and then after that, she would read and she would study books to go to the local community college so that she could take classes there. And, and the whole time while I'm sitting there hating chores, I'm doing the chores that they are giving me to do while they're off setting an example of what a hard work ethic looks like. And, and so if there's any work ethic at all in me, it's because I've learned it by watching hard workers in my family do that. And it makes me think and to ask the question, where did you learn to work? Like, like how, where did you pick up your work ethic? Did, was it because you saw a mom and a dad working really hard? Was it devoid of a parent in the house and you had to figure out, well, I'm going to have to figure out how to work hard myself? Was it a grandma or a grandpa that helped you have a, a, a work ethic? I don't know about you, but one, one of the, the things that uh, is most frustrating to me is, is to look around and to see people being lazy. 
It doesn't mean that I haven't had my own spells of laziness, and it doesn't mean that I don't have my own spells of laziness even as, as we speak. But when you're working hard, and you look around, and there's nobody else who's working, like, there's something that rises up inside you, like, God, like, what are you doing? Like, I'm not here to work by myself. Let's do this together. Get up off your seat and do some work. Let's get going here. Are you kidding me? Some of you might be familiar with a fellow by the name of Kobe Bryant. Anybody familiar with Kobe Bryant? Kobe Bryant was a uh, fantastic um, basketball player, played for the Lakers. Um, like he was intense, though, man. I, I didn't like him. He wasn't my favorite. I'm a Jordan guy through and through, right? And so he was trying to go after Jordan's mantle. Um, but he had this crazy strong work ethic. And he's on record as saying, I can't relate to lazy people. We don't speak the same language. I don't understand you, and I don't want to understand you. Well, that's intense, isn't it, when it comes to like, talking straight to lazy people. He had people on his team that didn't like the way he spoke because they wanted to not put in the same kind of effort that he put forth. But then on the other end of the spectrum, you have another guy who worked uh, in his own right really, really hard, but he had a different mindset uh, when he lived, a guy named Ronald Reagan. Uh, he's on record as saying, I've heard that hard work never killed anyone. But I say, why take the chance? There's a difference in those two perspectives. Isn't like one is like, let's go after one. is like, ah, let's just see how this kind of rolls out here. And, and here's the argument that I want to make th this morning. I, I want to make the argument that work is a good thing. It's a good thing. But laziness is always going to lead to some level of loss. Work is a good thing. Thing. But laziness will, on some level, it's going to lead to a loss. Now, being lazy, it, it, sometimes it feels relaxing, right? It feels like, man, we're, we're taking a break. But if laziness has somehow become a characteristic or a, a lifestyle that we put on, it's always, on some level, going to lead to a loss. And, and I believe that it will lead to a loss of fulfillment. Because there is something inside of us that wants to live a life that feels like we're accomplished or feel like we got some level of fulfillment in the work that we do or the things that we put our hands to. But laziness will never lead to fulfillment. I, I think that laziness is going uh, to lead to a loss of provision. None of us set out to find ourselves in poverty. Like we, we might find ourselves there, but, but none of us set our mind like, that's how I want to live. But when we're lazy, that's the direction of our life, Solomon is going to tell us throughout the Proverbs. And these, I believe it also leads to a loss of reputation because believe it or not, when you're being lazy, people see you be lazy. And, and not only is it a bad reputation for you, but as a believer in Christ who flies under the banner of somebody who is uh, living their life for someone who gave everything for them, we fly under that banner. And there's a reputation that's at stake when we live in laziness as well. So I believe that work is good, that God created us to work, that there, it's a gift from him but laziness will, will lead us uh, to uh, loss, okay? Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Listen to that. We are his workmanship, meaning that God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit were at work creating and creating human beings, and then we were created with a purpose, and the purpose that he writes here is for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God himself, he, he creates us to work. The goal has never been for humanity to somehow be born and then for the next 50 to 80 years of our life to figure out how to avoid work at all costs. 
right? That's, that's not the design of creation here. But yet some of us have lived like work is a plague and we want to stay back away from it as far as we can. Or we run with people in our circles that avoid work as best as they can uh, and, and as hard as, as they can. But here's the deal. When we're born, we were born into responsibility. We were born into work. You look at creation and you see a theology of work that's at play from the very beginning of, of the scriptures here. Because God, he creates Adam and Eve, and he puts them into the garden. And there's this little verse in chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 15, that if all of our goal of life is to avoid work, this verse is going to be the worst verse that we could ever hear in our lives. Because here, here's, like, after um, uh, God is describing the beauty of creation, right? Like he has created Adam and Eve, he's, or he's created this world, he's created uh, the garden, and he's describing there are trees that are just, just full of luscious fruit. There, are, um, uh, uh, there is a river that's running through the garden. There are flowers that are popping up. There are animals that are all over the place. Now, I grew up in, in the 80s and the 90s, uh, in the two, well, from the 80s to now, right? That's when I grew up. Um, still growing up. And, and, and when I was younger, like Thomas Kincaid, like he, was, like he was the painter, man. Like if you had a Thomas Kincaid, man, that thing was nice. Like the picture that is being painted of creation here is better than any Thomas Kincaid painting that you will ever see. It's beautiful. And in the middle of this creation, there's this little verse that pops up in chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And in chapter 1, right before chapter 2, that work, God says, is good. Because in chapter 1, he says that he created uh, man and woman in his image, both woman and man in, in God's image. He created them, right? And then after that, it says, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Work it. Keep it. And in all of this, God was saying that work was good. And so work is a part of his great and good design, to which I think we slam the brakes and we say, hold up. Adam and Eve are in the garden, and they had to work? I thought God took care of all that kind of stuff. I, I thought they just got to hang out in the garden, and angels brought them food when they were hungry, and they just were chilling there. No, no. These this man and this woman, they were, God took care of the garden, but he took care of the garden through the work that he gave Adam and Eve to do. It was a divine work. It was a blessed work. It was a gift for them so that they might be able to relate with the responsibility that the creator has given them and to use it as an act of, of worship. And so for them, work was good and work was worshipful. You ever thought about your work like that? <laughs> The alarm clock goes off in the morning, and you think, thank God I get to get up in the morning. I get to go to work. This is a blessing to me. Some of us do because we love our work, but that's not the case for all of us. There are scenarios when the alarm clock goes off, and you just want to grab that alarm clock. You want to throw it across the room because you know it's reminding you of the pain and the despair of working that day. And this is no delusional kind of thing. Like You feel it every time that, that you wake up. But what if like, we saw work as a gift from God like it was here in the garden, and then we saw it as an aspect of worship, that how we saw our work and how we engaged in our work, we could, it could actually be a worshipful experience, no matter what we do. Whether we're swinging a mop all day, it could be a worshipful experience, or whether we're swinging a hammer all day, or whether we're punching in numbers into a computer, 
or we're ordering things for other people, whether we're painting, like, whatever we do, it could be an act of worship and how we go about it. Paul says in Colossians 3.17 that whatever we're putting our hands to, that the work that we have, the things that we do, that this is to be an aspect of worship for us, that we, um, whatever we do, we do it as if we're working for the Lord. Now, work doesn't always feel like that, does it? I mean, there are days where you're just like, God, would you just come back, like right now? Like, come back, because I don't want to go to work today. I'm tired of what is in front of me. I just, I'm, I just don't want to do it a- anymore. And, and you're just fed up. How do we get from the garden and the aspect of work being worship to the place where we don't even want to do it a- a- anymore? What, what happened here? Why is work like a pain and a dread uh, more, more sometimes than, than it is an as- aspect of worship? Well, we go to Genesis 3, and we see what happens when sin kicks in, right? What, what, what happens? There are consequences that come along with the sin. Before sin entered into the picture, the work was easy. It was work, but it was enjoyable. And at the end of the day, like you could hang your hat on the wall and be fulfilled. Like there's no walls in the garden. I get it. You could, you could hang your hat on a tree. And at the end of the day, with the work that you've been given, you can say, man, I am fulfilled. Everything that I've done today like, I, I'm not looking for anything else. Like, this work was satisfying for me. This work was fulfilling for me. And, and, that's, and that's the way it was. But what, listen to what happens in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. And to Adam he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Joy and fulfillment and and work, it gets hijacked by sin. In in Genesis chapter 3 here in the garden. Do you see the turn here? It's cursed, thorns and thistles, the sweat of your brow, the sweat of your face. There is a transition from seeing work as worship to work just being work and dreadful and just something that I have to go and do. And just because there's this transition that takes place doesn't mean that uh, we're now out of having to work. It doesn't mean that we're supposed to stop doing work. It just means that now we've got to figure out ways to find the fulfillment and the joy that God intended for work to be for us. There are hurdles sometimes that we have to jump through for it to be satisfying and fulfilling because the work itself is still good. The work hasn't changed. The design of work hasn't changed. It is still to be an aspect of worship, but now there's a curse that seems to be attached to the work that makes it hard for us to enjoy what God's given us. The pain and the turmoil, it's still there. And we can feel that burden in our life. And so it feels like the curse that we read about in Genesis chapter 3. And so the way that we view work now gets shaped by the consequence of sin rather than by the aspect of of worship. There's a different lens that gets uh, put on here, and it feels like a burden. So if you've ever felt this tension in work, if you've ever felt like, man, work is just work, or I don't like my job, or I don't feel wired right for the job that I have, or, or you feel like maybe your motive, there was a, a point in your life where you thought, well, no, I, I, I identify with this idea that work is good and it's supposed to be worshipful, but at the same time, my motive has changed and now it's just become all about the money. I just, I know I've got bills to pay and I just, I'm going to drudge through just, if as long as it pays the bill, I'm, I'm good to go. If that's ever been just kind of the tension that you feel, 
Now, I, I, want, I want you to hear um, this morning Solomon help us reframe our thinking when it comes to work. Because I believe work is good. But when we refuse to work and we jump into the stage of laziness, that we're always going to experience some level uh, of loss. And so uh, Sarah read Proverbs uh, 24 for us this morning, or, or the, a few verses out of Proverbs. And so what I'm going to do, I'm just going to jump in and we're going to break it down, okay? This is a proverb of observation. As in, when you read through the proverb and you see that Solomon is looking at things and, and, and making an assumption about the world that he sees, it's, it's meant to change your perspective on something. I see it this way, or I saw it this way, and now I see it this way, and now there's a transition or a change that needs to take place. This is the proverb of observation, and it's used for illustration. And, and so the picture here is it's Solomon, King Solomon. He's decided to step outside of the palace for a little while, and he's going to go take a stroll through the kingdom of which he is in control over. And as he's strolling along and he's taken in the beauty of the land, he sees the rolling hills of Israel, this beautiful place. He is presumably walking past some very well manicured fields of, of farmers and vine dressers who are taking care of what God has given them. And they have just meticulously worked their fields and they are yielding the profits of what their hard work has put into to play. Then when I was reading this this week, I thought about the farmers who were out in the fields uh, this month. And they've just been out and they've been pulling in the wheat and they've been gathering up together. And I, and I thought about all, all that work that they've been doing and how they've meticulously maintained their equipment. And they have made sure that they have planted or they have uh, uh, tilled up the ground. They've put the seed in the ground and they have managed the weeds because they know that this is for their livelihood. But it's not just for their own livelihood. It's for their families and it's for others who work with them and others that this food is going to impact as well. And, and so they have a bigger picture at play here. But as Solomon's walking through the fields, there is one field that stands out to him. It doesn't look like any of the other fields. It doesn't come, come close because this one is a mess. It doesn't look like anybody's been caring for this thing for probably years. He says, I went by the field of a slacker. And you could read slugger there. You could read lazy person. You could read slouch. You could be the person who doesn't give a care. You could, read that. you could read it in any way you want in this place. But we get the idea. I went by the field of a slacker, a sluggard, the vineyard of somebody who lacked any kind of sense at all. And you start to get this description of a lazy person and what his field looks like. Well, how does Solomon know this guy's lazy? It doesn't say that he's ever met him. It doesn't say that he knows his name. It doesn't say he knows what he looks like. So how could he possibly know that this fellow is lazy? Well, you look at a lazy person's work, right? How, how do you know? He looks at the field and he can see. How do you know if somebody's lazy or not? You look at the work of their hands or you look at the work that their hands aren't doing at all. And it, it, it just comes up evident. I mean, we don't have to try to beat around the bush and try to play nice around this, right? Like, you know lazy when you see lazy. You, you, you can feel it. You can see the work of their hands. It's not trying to be a jerk about it and just to look for problems. It is very clearly evident when laziness is on display. And so this is, he's calling a spade, uh, a, a spade here. There's nothing being done with the field. The field belongs to this man. He owns the field. He's been blessed with the opportunity to work this field. He has responsibility to work the field, but yet nothing Nothing is being done here. And, and, and I know that uh, I get to pastor a nice church, 
Okay? And I know that everybody in here is really nice people. And so as I read this, you're thinking about all the, um, the reasons why this guy may not be out into the field. All the extenuating circumstances. Maybe his wife's sick, and, and so he hasn't been able to be out into the field. Or maybe, maybe like, uh, he, he busted his ankle, and he's not been able to be out in the field. And you think about all these extenuating circumstances. Like, yeah, maybe, but I think that's to push too far into the illustration that Solomon is giving us here. He has a clear picture in, in mind of what's going on. What he's doing, he is pointing out what laziness looks like. And he's pointing out what laziness is eventually going to lead to. You think it's going to be good for you. You think you are getting a break, but it is going to eventually catch up with you at some time. I was talking with a, a teacher, a retired teacher, uh, a little bit earlier today, and she said that she's had uh, students who have come up to her after talking about things like this when they were young, and they said, hey, you remember when you told me about it's going to catch up with me? It caught up with me. It, it, laziness will always catch up with you, and you won't like it when it does. And so Solomon, he's pointing out what laziness looks like, and it will eventually lead to some level of loss in your life. And what he's saying is, this person's been given an opportunity to work, he's not doing the work, and when you fail to take care of your work, there is a loss that takes place here. And so if you have a job and you don't do your job, there are consequences that come along with that, right? I mean, this is how it works. Either you get to keep your job and your pay gets docked, or you get to keep your job and you have to do the work that you didn't do and do, then do more work, or, or you get fired. There are consequences when you don't do your job. And there are consequences if you just say, you know what, I'm going to buck the system. Like, I'm not going to be a slave to the system. Like, nobody's going to tell me to work. You just say, you know what, if, if, I'm not going to work. I'm just, I'm just not going to do it. There are consequences that come along with that um, as, as well. And so, not only does Solomon here conclude that this fellow in the field is lazy, but the way that he describes him is that he has no sense that there's nothing um, going around in his mind that, that is wise at all. There's a lot of foolishness here. And the, the word sense here is, is very uh, peculiar um, because the, the, the word sense, it stems from a connection to the heart. Remember how we talked last week how um, we're, when we're making decisions, we are to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding and all our ways acknowledge him and he'll make our path straight. It's the same idea here. Remember, the heart is the seat of the emotions and the will. It's what kind of makes up what's going on inside of us and what causes us to do the things that we do. He's saying there's a connection here between this person's sense, whether it be common sense or sense that he's been given by nature or sense that he has in any realm that's connected to the heart. And this man, his heart, is not set towards God. His heart is set towards his own desires. It's for him and only for him. There's a self-conceit and centeredness here. John Calvin, a, a great theologian um, of old, he says that nothing is more contrary to the order of nature than to consume life in eating, drinking, and sleeping, while in the meantime, we propose nothing of ourselves to do. Oh, John, come on here. What he's saying here is just for us to simply fill up our days with things that add no value to anyone or anything else other than ourselves is to simply waste our life. 
to only think about what's in me or around me or I can jump in and help or I can be there to do that with you or for you. If it only ever comes back to how is this going to affect me in my little world, he says, then we are wasting our lives. There's a bigger picture at stake here. There is, um, this is a life that I think is centered on the person. But the person doesn't understand that there is deceit and foolishness and pride that at the end of the day, it's going to catch up with them. Can you imagine if the farmers who have been out in the field gathering up the wheat right now and who are going to gather up the corn later in the fall, can you imagine if they didn't prepare their soil? Can you imagine if they didn't... uh, till up the ground, plant the seed, fight the weeds, work on their equipment, and then on harvest week or harvest month or harvest day, they gather up all the boys and the gals and say, hey, it's time to go harvest. And they, and they head out to the field and they show up with all their equipment, if their equipment even works because they you know, weren't, weren't taking care of it. They, they show up and then all the, what do you think they're going to find in the field? Are they going to find the wheat? Are they going to find the corn or the soy? No. They're going to find a field full of weeds. But that's not what our farmers do. Our farmers go out, they work the land, they till it, so that when they go out, they have a a return for the work that they put in. So they have a reward for their work. The idea that Solomon is trying to drive home, I think, in this proverb, is that, that his boys and that we who come down the line later wouldn't waste the opportunity that God's put in front of them, that they wouldn't waste their lives. So I want to ask you, what opportunity has God put in front of you right now? Where, where he's saying, don't waste it. Don't waste the opportunity that you have in front of you. Get out in the field. Get out in the field and do the work. And then a follow-up question to that is, how's your field looking? Is it popping up with weeds and wheat? Or uh, weeds and, and, and just overgrowth? Or, or have you been maintaining the work that God's given you to do? So we've looked at the lazy man a little bit. Let's look at uh, the lazy man's field, a little bit of his work. Solomon looks at the field, and he sees two different things. He says, I see thistles and weeds, and they're popping up everywhere. What do those thistles and weeds remind you of that we read earlier? It's Genesis chapter 3. It's the result of of the fall. It's It's the curse of sin that makes work harder, right? Thorns and thistles and weeds are popping up. You know what thorns or you know what thistles produce? Nothing. Nothing fruitful. They don't produce anything that you can actually use for for good. Uh, Nothing useful. And so if the lazy man would even get himself up out of his chair and go look out in his field, what he would see that his laziness is creating is going to be pain and turmoil for himself later. Laziness will never produce anything of value. One day he's going to wake up and he's going to go out into the field. He's going to look and he's going to be hungry. He's going to be looking for something to eat, and he's going to be sorely mistaken because there's not going to be anything out there that's going to be useful for him to eat. He's going to walk away with a hungry stomach. He's going to see nothing but but weeds. So this man's field is riddled with thorns and thistles and weeds, but the field also, when you look at it, Solomon says there's a wall that's broken down that's not being cared for, which is a pretty big deal because in Israel, it's a rolling kind of a hill's. There are some flat areas, but there are hills that are all over the place. And so walls were used to build around fields to try to keep in the moisture for the root systems of the plants so that the plants could actually grow. If there was no walls, then water just runs down the hill and you don't get the moisture from it. So they would build walls to try to help the plants grow. But 
walls were also used for protection, to keep animals out of your crops and to keep the bad guys out from, from getting in. And so what Solomon is pointing out with this, this, uh, this wall is, is he's saying that there is, um, this fellow is not taking care of his field. He's not taking care of the wall. And by doing so, he is failing to protect his family from hunger and from harm. So laziness doesn't just affect us as individuals. Laziness will affect the people that are around us as well, whether it be family members or peers or coworkers or somebody down the line. It impacts more people than us. And as we said earlier, laziness impacts our, our witness. It impacts our reputation. It impacts our impact in the lives of people around us. And so it's not just for us. There, our work and how we work and going about it in a worshipful mindset this is an example to the people around us, but it's also an example um, to, like if you've got kids at home, it's an example for your kids or for your grandkids. They, they see the aspect of which you take on your work, and if you won't work, where are they going to learn to work? If you work with a grumbling attitude, how are they going to work without a grumbling attitude? You ask them to do their chores without grumbling, like, is that going to happen? No, because they see you grumble when you come home from work because it's not an aspect of worship for us at, at times. And so, when our kids, though, on the other end, when they, they see us leaning into our work as an aspect of worship with a different lens on, not, not seeing our work through the lens of the consequence of sin, but seeing our work through the lens of worship, they're going to learn that as well. And that's going to have dividends for them, and it's going to have dividends for those who are going to be around them. And so let me ask you, how are your walls? Are, they, are you building up those walls? Are you... Are you taking care of the fields? Are you taking care of the walls? Are you watching your, your, your work? If this is new for you, this aspect of not being lazy, or if this has been a struggle for you in the past, like, no, that, that's kind of been me. I, I want you to know, again, that this is a proverb of observation. What, what Solomon is wanting us to see is, is that we're going to see the issue and there's a transition and a transformation to take place by what we see, that we don't just see it and not walk away unchanged, that there's an opportunity to learn something from this because Solomon says, I looked and I received instruction. I, I looked and I didn't walk away and do nothing, but I learned from what I see. So we can learn from, from the past and we can learn to make steps forward. And so the story here that he's given us, it begs us to take a look at our lives. It's a deeply practical proverb for us. Verses uh, 33 and 34, these were um, verses that were well known throughout the Hebrew nation, right? They, not just in the Hebrew nation, but also um, throughout the popular culture, because this is a proverb that got passed around um, from civilization to civilization, from people group um, to people group, because it, it, it's easy to understand. You don't have to try to pull at straws to figure out what it means. It says, don't you know that a little sleep and a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, a, a, just a little rest, a little more rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Parents, long time ago, used to use this verse to help their kids pick up their rooms. And then help get out in the fields and say, hey, you don't want to be like that. And so what they would do, they would use this and then they would tack on the, the sluggard to go along with it. It's like, hey, you don't want to be like the sluggard out in the field who wasted the opportunity, do you? 
You don't want to be like the guy who wastes his opportunity to work. You don't want to be like that gal. You don't want to be like that guy, do you? No, I didn't think you did. So get in there and clean the dishes. Get in there and get out, get out in the field. Go clean your room. Jesus gives a nod to this proverb in uh, Matthew chapter 25 uh, in uh, the parable of the talents. You guys remember the parable of the talents? There's a, a landowner who's very wealthy and um, he's got servants who are working for him and he's getting ready to go away. And, and so he says, hey, um, I'm going to give you some money, I'm going to give you some money, I'm going to give you some money. He gives one guy five talents. He says, um, here, take care of this. He gives another guy two talents. He take care of this. And he gives another guy uh, one talent. He says, take care of this. The expectation is that they are going to work with the gift that's been given to them, and they are going to make an investment and come back. And when that owner comes back, that, they, that, he's, going to, that he's going to get more out of them from what he gave them. And so uh, the guy with the five talents, he goes out and he makes money with it. And the, the guy with the two talents, he goes out and he works hard and he makes a return for the investment that he makes. But the one guy who's got one talent, do you know what he does? This guy is lazy. And he takes that little coin, that little talent, and he buries it in the ground. And we could say it was because he was lazy or it was because he had misunderstanding. We could say because he was afraid of the master, he didn't want to lose it. Think what we can gather from this is that he was lazy and he didn't invest. He didn't take the expectation that was due him. And so the master comes back and the one with the five says, here, this is what I've got. And they go, great, you've made more. Like, great is your reward. Well done, good and faithful servant. And, and then the, the one with the two comes back and he's made more and, and the, gives it to the master. And I believe in my heart this is an act of worship. This is, I'm giving this back to you because of what you've given to me. And he gives it to him. And, and then he's like, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful. And now enter into the, the joy, the rest of your master. And then the one comes and he gives the one back. Hey, dusts it off and gives it to him. Like, hey, here, here it is. And you know how he responds? You wicked servant. You wicked servant. You knew I was a harsh man. You knew how I was going to respond. And yet you chose not to work. You chose not to invest this calls him wicked. And he takes away what was given to him. And so he doesn't get to hear well done. He walks away suffering loss. He missed out on the joy of handing back what was given to him with a heart of, of worship. And I think this is what Solomon's doing with this proverb here. He's reminding his boys, and in, in turn, he's reminding us, hey, don't waste your life in laziness. You've been given work to do. Don't waste the opportunity. Do the work not because you're afraid of loss, but do the work for the joy of your master, to experience joy and fulfillment in your own life, to experience the aspect of being able to worship through your work. Work is good, but laziness will lead to loss. We said it will lead to a lack of fulfillment, a loss of provision, and a loss of reputation. Here's what, here's what um, Solomon says in Proverbs 13, 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. He craves. He wants it. He can't get it because there's nothing to be got. Anyone talk about a lack of fulfillment? When you want and you can't have, but he's reaping the rewards, or he's reaping the benefit of nothing being sown here. Proverbs 24, this is the loss of provision. The sluggard does not plow in the autumn he will seek at harvest and have nothing. <laughs> he doesn't do the work, so he's not going to get the food. 
Now, we know that God miraculously provides for us, right? Like, like he can bring bread from heaven. He can bring meat in from the sky. Like, he can do anything like that. But the way that he often provides for us is through the work that he gives us to do. If we fail to do the work that he's given us to do, we miss out on the blessing of the work that he's given us to do. Then there's the loss of reputation in Proverbs 10, 26. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the slugger to those who send him. Let's just be honest. Laziness amongst your peers and your coworkers stands out. Laziness, he says, is like, uh, uh, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. It's irritating. Nobody wants to be around that type of deal. And so they, re- they remove themselves from being around you. We lose the reputation that God has given us. And so if Paul says in Ephesians 2.10 that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them, that means that he's given us work to do. It's good work to do, work that we've been created to do. And so our response then is to do the work. Well, what if I don't like the job that, that, that I have? Well, do the work. The job that you have, it's a gift that God has given to you right now. I, I tell my wife and I, we have conversations about work and she looks for jobs and whatnot. And we you know, try to model this to our kids. The best way to find a job is when you already have a job. So if you don't like your job, don't quit so that you can't provide for your family unless there's, um, there, there's moral issues and ethical issues going on there. Don't quit. Like, find a job while you already have a job that you feel like you're going to be fulfilled by, but while you're working, wherever it is you're working, let the lens that you do your work with be a lens of, of, of worship and do the work. I was reading a sermon by uh, Charles Spurgeon this week, and if you've never read anything by, by Charles Spurgeon, man, I would encourage you to, uh, but know that you're going to get punched in the face when you read it because he doesn't hold anything back. And, and I was reading, I was reading this sermon, and uh, I, I want to conclude our time with what he has to say uh, about the man who is void of understanding, right? And I'll read this, and then we'll, then we'll wrap. Why is he void of understanding? Is it not because he has opportunities which he does not use? His days come, his days going, and he lets the hours glide by to no purpose. Let me not press too hardly upon anyone. But let me ask you all to press as hardly as you can upon yourselves while you inquire each one of himself. Am I employing the minutes as they fly? This man had a vineyard, but he didn't cultivate it. He had a field, but he didn't till it. Do you, brethren, we don't use brethren enough, okay? Do you, brethren, use all of your opportunities? I know we each one have some power to serve God. Do we use it? If we are his children, he has not put one of us where we are of necessity useless. Somewhere we may shine by the light which he has given us, though that light be only a farthing candle. Are we thus shining? Do we sow beside all waters? Do we in the morning sow our seed and in the evening still stretch out our hand? For if not, we are rebuked by the sweeping censure of Solomon, who saith that the slothful is a man void of understanding." Work is good. It's a good thing. Do the work that God has given you to do. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much for being able to spend time together this morning. To talk about work and to talk about laziness, that's not exciting. Um, But Lord, your word speaks it into, um, into our lives. And I believe I need to hear that. 
I believe we need to hear this. I believe that our culture uh, needs to hear this, that work is good. It's a good thing for us, Lord, that you've given us to do. And so I want to pray with my friends that our mentality as we reach up and, and push the alarm clock this week that reminds us to wake up and go to our jobs, to go do the work that you've given us, that you would help us that when we wake up that we would pray, that you would help us to put on a new lens that doesn't see our work as a burden but sees our work as a gift and that the lens that we put on would be a lens of worship, that you would help us to see it that way. And so I pray that this week, Lord, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, that we all in this room as we wake up, that we would thank you for the work and that we would ask you to help us to worship you in whatever job and task that we put our hands to this week. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.